Let's turn in our our Bibles to our sermon text, Second Timothy three. Second Timothy three. Starting at verse fourteen. This is God's holy and infallible word. It is the only foundation upon which we are to build. This is God's word starting at 2 Timothy 3.14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, all, skip, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Well, Father, we do ask that you would bless this, your word that you would help us, we pray, by your word and spirit, that you would equip us for every good deed, that we would be adequate and equipped to serve you, to grow in holiness, to be a fruitful, blessed church, that we would be a light in this dark world. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. At the beginning of every endeavor, you need a plan. It's good and fitting to put a plan together that you uh, have so you can learn or you can have it guide you in what you want to accomplish. If you have a road trip, you need a map. But nowadays we need a GPS or maybe a cell phone where you plot a course. But you need some way to know where you're going so you don't end up in the wrong neighborhood or end up in a, in having to drive many, many miles out of your way to get back to where you want to go. When you plan a building, you need a good architect, and now I understand that you don't just have an architect, but you might even have an interior decorator that might help with setting up the initial plans. But if you don't have an initial plan of where things are going to go when you start to build your home, then you have people running into each other. You have to have a blueprint so that the the carpenters and the electricians and the the AC guys and, and the flooring guys and the painters and all that have know exactly what needs to be done to get the house looking like the way you want it. And what happens is if you don't have a proper plan and somebody lays the ductwork in the ceiling that gets in the way of where the electrical work needs to go and it's all a big shambles and you have to tear it down and redo it. So you need a plan. Well, the same thing goes for the ordained ministry um, in God allowing me to serve as pastor of this church, I hope for us to look at a blueprint plan from 2 Timothy 3.16, that this would be the blueprint for the rest of the ministry I have here in this church. Um, one of you ladies had sent out a group text and you said something about, thank God that he has given us a permanent pastor. I'm not a permanent pastor. But I do hope to be here for very many years. Um, well, so I'm 46 now, but maybe God might allow me to preach till I'm 90. Wouldn't that be great? 
I would love that. I might have to preach part-time if I get to be 95. I don't know. Well, we, we, we don't know what God has in store. But I hope and pray that it'll be many more years. But it won't be a permanent ministry, but it will be hopefully many years of ministry. So if God gives me maybe 30, 40 years of ministry here, what do I want to accomplish? What I want to accomplish is that you all, you saints, this church, and many after you as well, would be equipped, adequate and equipped for every good work. That's what I want for you. And I think that's what God can accomplish for us through his holy word and spirit. Paul wrote this epistle to a young minister named Timothy in order to equip him for his ministry. As we read early in verse 15, look there, it says that from childhood, it says that he was taught the sacred writings which are able to give wisdom and leads to salvation which is in Christ. Now, keep in mind that that was the Old Testament writings. But those of you who know Isaiah, and especially Isaiah 53, those sacred writings and many other places of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ, of how to have salvation through Christ even before he took on flesh. Then when, we, when they saw him in the flesh, they recognized him as the fulfillment of those messianic promises. But I believe here that when Paul's talking about Scripture, he's not only talking about the Old Testament because when he goes on to talk more about Scripture, starting in verse 16 and following, he's explaining things of, that Scripture is still being given in the church. Paul knew that his writings were Holy Scripture. Peter testified that Paul's writings were Holy Scripture. They weren't guessing that this was the Word of God, but um, Paul and Peter both testified that these writings were the Word of God. As we, uh, let's turn back and look a little bit more at the context of Timothy being brought up in the Holy Writings. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 5 and following. Paul says this of Timothy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, for I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. In a parallel text in the prior epistle, uh, Paul talks about the laying on of hands of presbytery. And the gift was by through a prophetic utterance. We don't know for sure exactly what that gift that was given unto Timothy, but maybe you could say it was the gift of ministry for sure. Um, and Paul tells him to stir it up. Now, perhaps Timothy was a young man who lacked bravery. Um, and he, Paul exhorts him not to have, um, not, to, not to be afraid. And he says that, uh, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now let's turn back to 2 Timothy 3, 15 and following. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and following. As we consider the main focus of today's text is that you must be equipped by Scripture. You must be equipped by Scripture. 
we're going to answer this in two main points. What is Scripture? And secondly, how God equips you by Scripture. So first of all, what is Scripture? Verse 16 says it is that which is inspired by God. A literal translation of this phrase could be, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is God-breathed. When God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, he took the very elements of the dirt and molded a human being from the very ground. It's interesting that if you look at, our, if you look at the makeup of our bodies, we have the same makeup of the very earth. You know, the carbon and the, the elements and all of these things are the very elements of the ground are also found in our bodies. But that living body of Adam would have not come to life unless God had breathed that breath of life into his nostrils. So the written language on the page of your Bibles, the written language on the pages of your Bibles, apart from the breath of God, would just be that written language. But God has breathed his life into the words of Holy Scripture. And how did he do that? He did that by breathing into the prophets and apostles to set down the Word of God. He did that by giving remembrance to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the very words of Christ, all of his actions, the things that he did, and to lay it down in four Gospels. All Scripture... All scripture is breathed out by the word of God. And it is fair to say that even all scripture could be called the very word of Christ. I want us to turn to John 1.1 for that. Let's keep your place in 2 Timothy, but turn to John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God and the Word, I'm sorry, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Anywhere that there is the light of God in the Holy Scriptures, in the Old Testament, you could say that that is the very light of the Word of God. But the Word here, the Word became flesh. It's speaking of the pre-incarnate Son of God. That's another name for the eternal Son of God. He is called the Word. So it's through the Word, the eternal, pre-incarnate, eternal Son of God, that all Scripture comes to us because He is the very mouthpiece of God. He is that light shining in the darkness. And a lot of uh, scholars, when they look at the appearance of the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, they give that as being the pre-incarnate Christ appearing in the Old Testament. He was always there. It says here that He was even there in the creation. So it's fair to say that all of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it could be called the very Word of Christ. Turn next to Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1. 
Second Peter 1, 16 and following. Second Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I'm going to look at this passage a little bit more. We're not going to turn back yet to, to 2 Timothy, but notice first in this passage that Scripture is not made up of cleverly devised tales, or someone could say fables. It's not children's stories. Instead, it says here that it's based upon empirical or observable evidence. Peter said in verse 16, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. There were eyewitnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration who heard the very God of heaven speaking to his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Eyewitnesses are something that can be upheld in a court of law. We have eyewitnesses that uphold the account of Holy Scripture. Um, I love this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 6 and following. That risen Christ, after he rose again from the dead, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. That's a lot of evidence for the things of Holy Scripture. It's not fables. It's not something made up. It's divine, absolute truth based upon observable evidence. Scripture is a trustworthy, evidence-based historical account of the life and work of Jesus Christ, the very God-man. Um, and we go, uh, let's go back to... Uh, oh, um, We'll go back thinking of that chapter, uh, John 1, 1, and we read about a lamp shining in a dark place. This is something that the light of God and Holy Scripture does. It shines as a lamp in a dark place until that day dawns and the star arises in your hearts if, Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit works in you as you receive Scripture. Uh, let's go back uh, to... Uh, verse 21 of this passage in Second Peter. It says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men were moved by the Holy Spirit as they spoke from God. So it's, it wasn't a matter of these prophets and apostles of their own interpretation. They weren't giving their opinion. They were giving God's absolute truth when giving this because they were moved by the Holy Spirit that spoke from God.
Um, we'll look back at Second uh, Timothy 3. When it says here, in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. Now, if somebody ever says to you, is scripture the only absolute truth? Is scripture the only absolute truth? That's not necessarily the case. There are two different types of revelation. We have what they call general revelation, and we have special revelation. General revelation is God declaring, as it says in Psalm, 1, in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens telling of the glory of God. Man, when he goes out and he sees the glory of the heavens, he sees a beautiful sunset, he sees the intricacy of man, he looks at his hands, he looks at his eyes, he looks at the anatomy, he looks at the, the amazing, wonderful structure of all things that God has made. It's evident to man by what they call general or natural revelation that there is a God. But that revelation is not sufficient to teach you how to be saved. You need to know special revelation, which is what is talked about here. Special revelation or Holy Scripture is that which teaches us of the path of salvation through Christ our Lord. We're looking at, uh, back at 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 as we see that how God equips us by Scripture. Now the first step in realizing how God equips us by Scripture is for us to individually acknowledge that each of us need to be equipped by Scripture. Unless you know that you need to change for the better, you will not change for the better. But each of us, even no matter how long we've been in the Holy Faith, we need to be better equipped by the Holy Scriptures. It says in 2 Timothy 3.15, It is the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That was true of Timothy, and that must be true of you as well if you have the Spirit of Christ in you. You need God's wisdom through his special revelation rather than man's wisdom. It says here that the sacred writings are able to give you wisdom. Uh, one of the areas of wisdom that God gives us is that we have to realize that God is a supernatural worker. A lot of people in our society, they, are, they have a stumbling block. They're like the Greeks that stumble uh, or that, that they would say that the, not, the stumbling block was for the Jew, but the, the Greeks were stumbling upon the word of God because they were empiricists. Paul talked about the resurrection from the, from the dead, and because of the, the Greek logic, they couldn't understand how that could be because they'd never seen it happen. And a lot of people like that are the, like the Greeks of old. They cannot believe in the supernatural. They cannot believe in a virgin birth. They cannot believe in a resurrection because they're... They don't believe in the supernatural. How could that be possible? But God, in his holy word, teaches us that he is a wonder-working God. It's important that you submit your understanding, you submit your thinking in all ways to Holy Scripture. The first area of wisdom is to realize, uh, as it says here in, in, in your outline, Proverbs 9, 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you think that this existence is all that there is, and you think that the supernatural is impossible, then you are not submitting yourself in the fear of the Lord. You are still in unbelief. 1 Corinthians 10.5 says that you are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then again in verse 15, Paul goes on to say to tell Timothy and to tell us, the sacred writings are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Again, at the time when this was being read, this was the Old Testament. Timothy heard about the pre-incarnate Son of God coming into the world over a thousand years before he came. Well, it was even spoken of in, all the way back in Genesis. The seed of the woman who would undo the work of the evil one. Uh, this was something that Jesus was spoken of even thousands of years before he took on flesh. But as we read Holy Scripture, as given through the rest of the New Testament, we see that Christ's life is laid forth, his words are laid forth, that he, Jesus Christ came into the world, he died, he suffered, he was raised again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is all laid out in Holy Scripture, special revelation. And that Holy Scripture, it says, is that which is able to give you salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Word of God tells us in, in Romans ten nine that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the first way that you must be equipped is you first must be part of the kingdom of God, and that can only happen through embracing Christ as Lord and Savior by confessing him and believing upon him with, with a sincere faith. As we look at verse 16, it gives us a list of ways that God uses Scripture to make you adequate, equipped for every good work. The first word there is teaching. This is the same word mentioned in chapter 4, verse 3. Let's look there. In uh, chapter 4, verse 3, the word that is translated as teaching is translated here as doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You could translate that teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away uh, from their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So that's the word there for um, teaching or doctrine. It's a didaskalia. Uh, you might have heard of the word uh, a didactic, maybe a didactic technique. That's a teaching technique. So a didactic technique or teaching technique is derived very closely from this Greek word. It even sounds similar. Now, this passage here says that we must be absolutely concerned about teaching or about doctrine. And maybe that's why the, this particular church, our denomination, and maybe even you find with me, I'm always wanting to maybe cite particular passages of Scripture because 
it says that we are to have scripture as the the only way to learn what is sound doctrine according to holy scripture the next word here is reproof that could also be translated as rebuke now i don't know many of you that would like a personal rebuke but if you read something in scripture and and you get convicted about it you really need to be allowing god to be willing to 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 rebuke you if you say that you're a believer and you don't want even god to rebuke you from your word then you have a problem there you know really if we examine ourselves and, and I, I, I firmly 100% agree with the Westminster Divines that we sin daily in thought, word, and deed. And because we sin daily in thought, word, and deed, each of us, when we read Scripture, we, f- we should find something in particular that give, gives us an element of rebuke. But that's a good thing because unless we're corrected and rebuked, we can't change. But God wants us to take Holy Scripture. He wants us to transform us. You have to be... It's kind of like those guys in the military and boot camp. They get beaten up and broken down and made to be like lower than dirt, called worms and maggots. But then after they get beat down, they get built back up. I'm not saying that we should talk that way to each other, but um, God needs to humble us before we can be made something of, you know? The, the next word, correction, could be translated improvement, um, to make improvement or to be straightened or straightening. Um, that's what that word means. It's like God's word is the straight edge by which we are to straighten up to. If you take a nail and you want to, sometimes I do this, I was taking apart some pallets and I was reusing the nails. Instead of buying new nails, those nails are pretty nice. I, I took them out. And you, you lay them on a straight edge and you smash them on that straight edge until you get them nice and straight and then you can reuse them again. Well, that's kind of what God has to do with us. He has to sh- put us on a straight edge to get the kinks and the bends out so we can be a nice, straight, useful tool for the sake of the kingdom. It, it's for correction, for straightening. That's what God's Word does for us. Training in righteousness. A lot of the religions of this world want to tell you a measure of what is righteousness, how you are to be a holy and righteous person, but their standard for what is righteous and holy is often very warped. Now, for those of you who grew up like in the Catholic Church, like me, the standard for righteousness and holiness is celibacy, or being a nun or a priest, or being a monk or or something of that sort. But the Holy Scripture does not say that that is the standard for holiness. The Word of God is the absolute standard for holiness. Um, you have it, should have it there in your outline. Colossians 2.21 and following. Uh, there are some that want to have the standard of righteousness according to man's words. They say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. In accordance with the commandments and teachings of men... These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It's not helping the Catholic Church to force the priesthood to be celibate and then leading to the scandal of abusing children and young boys. Why, why not just allow them to get married? By the, by the way, it was 
it wasn't until at least the year 1000. So the first 1000 years after the birth of Christ, the church had a married clergy. Now you might think the Catholic Church would say, oh, that was not the case. We had an an unending line of celibate men, you know. But there's there's cases of when this was enacted after the after the year 1000. I'm not sure of the exact year, but I know it was at least to the year 1000 that some of the the bishops and the, those who were in the Catholic Church, especially of Germany, they wrote back to the Pope at the time from Timothy and Titus and said, "Look, it says a man of not more than one wife." But they wanted a standard of holiness. They said, well, to train them in righteousness, we need to force them to be celibate. Again, this is man's religion, man's words of a standard of holiness. But ultimately, it must be God that gives us the standard on how to be righteous. The standard of training in righteousness. God's word, absolutely. God alone must be Lord of the conscience. His word alone must be the standard of righteousness. Now, if we take this all together, the word is important for our thinking, our teaching, taking every thought captive, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. It's like almost everything we do must have scripture like flowing in our minds and all that we think and do. That should be the case. I love this statement by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said of John Bunyan, if you cut him, he would bleed scripture. Wow, wouldn't that be great if they could say that of us? Oh, you know, if you cut those saints there at Pineville Presbyterian Church, they would just bleed scripture. Those people there, they just, they, they, they really think on, like the Bible because that's, their thinking is transformed by the Bible. That should be a case for Christians who love God's word, if you would cut us, that we would bleed scripture. So what is it that you want to build your life upon? What is the foundation upon which you want to build your life? You need to build it upon the rock of the testimony of Christ and the holy prophets and apostles. That is the only sure foundation. Everything else is shifting sand It is the final authority in all faith and practice. It is to be the way that you mold your thinking. I know that the prophets and the apostles of old, when they laid down scripture, they weren't putting forth their opinion, but they were laying down the very word of God. What's most important is not what we think. It's most important that we transform our thinking according to the Holy Scripture, that God's Word in turn modifies and alters our thinking. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This Word is profitable. It's not just beneficial. It's profitable. It can make you rich in the way that it does through reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Each of us need that. But most importantly, you can have nothing of this unless you first have Christ. 
It's these sacred writings that are able to give you salvation. It's the sacred writings that tell you of the salvation that is to be found only in Jesus Christ. You must first have him, because apart from him, you can do nothing. As this lamp shines in a dark place, pray that the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, will cause that day to dawn in your hearts, that you would receive it with an absolute joy, and that it would transform and mold your life. Let's pray together. Our blessed Lord, we do pray that you would mold us and make us, that your word would shine as a light in in that dark place, that the day would dawn in our hearts and that morning star would arise in in our hearts, Lord, that you would mold and make us into the very image of Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, to receive your word, to receive correction, to receive rebuke, to use your word as that standard of of thinking, that we would take every thought captive, that this would be our only authority as a guide of holiness and righteousness. Let us, we pray, to be molded by this very book and by your Holy Spirit. Bless your people, we pray. Do this for we ask it all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. As we turn to our hymn of dedication, turn to 243, How Firm a Foundation, 243.